Brilliant. It's great, isn't it? We, we love to pray. I don't know if you saw how many different times we, uh, we, we mentioned um, about prayer and prayer coming up. If you are, is it 11 to 14, Stan? If you're in 11 to 14s, you are going out now to have an absolutely brilliant time. Looks like Dan's taking sweets, so I would definitely encourage you to uh, go with him and uh, enjoy that time. And it's so good to see so many people, um, or not so many people, but, th- but these, this group um, uh, of men and women who, who, who want to step up and serve you guys by leading a 242 group. So it's so good, you know. Paul and Chris um, over there seeing you guys, you know, saying, no, we want to go again. We want to serve this community. We want to be pastors of this community. We want to be pastors of the 50s and the 60s. And it's so good to see that um, happening. So I am, as one of the elders, so grateful to God for every single one of you. Pete and Fiona, for you stepping up in that way. Heath and Hilda, um, absolutely uh, brilliant. So I'm going to continue our preach series, Restored Living Your Best Life. Last week we looked at um, what happened when we became Christians, and I, I shared how how um, what, what a massive change took place when we came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's the most dramatic thing that could possibly happen. Our identities changed in that moment. Once we were at enmity with God, that basically means we were enemies of God. He was, um, we, we were at war with him. Once, once we were distant, we were under the power of sin. We were in, actually the Bible calls it a hopeless situation. But when we came to know Christ, our identities changed. feels very echoey, Heath. Are you working on that or is that just me? Is it, is it echoey or okay? It's okay. I'll keep going. Um, our identities changed, and we went from those that are, were at war with God to those who are accepted by Him. We are accepted by Him. We are His children. We have become holy ones. I mean, imagine that. I, standing right here, am a holy one. That's, that's how God views me. That's who I am. That's the same for you. Why don't you, very odd you may think, but I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, Hello, you are a holy one. Now, now that's, that, to be honest, actually, for the start of my preach, that isn't a bad level of, new, of noise, actually. That, that was quite impressive. But, but, but you are. However, however, now, now bear with me on this. This is really, really important. It may even be the most important thing I say this morning. God's love for you, and he does love you. If you're a Christian here today, God loves you. That is unchangeable. God's love for you on its own will not mean that you become everything God has got for you. You won't accomplish everything God has prepared for you just because he loves you, although he does. The choices that you make, shaped by what you believe will impact whether you become the person God wants you to be. The choices that you make, shaped by what you believe, will impact whether you become the person God wants you to be. Now, he loves you anyway. That is unchangeable. But your faith, your trust, your belief in God is absolutely critical to your fruitfulness. And this morning, 
we're going to look at the subject that we're very familiar with, but we're going to look at the subject of faith because it's so important that we understand it because there are lots of, there can be confusion around this thing. Now, I want to kick off by looking at a story in the Bible, just briefly, you don't need to turn to it, but maybe, maybe in the week turn to it, that I think will really help us to see something of the true nature of faith. Put your hand up if you know something about the story of David and Goliath. That's, that's quite a lot of you. That is quite a lot of you. So, the story of David and Goliath. This is a story of a young Israelite boy who fought against a giant of a man, a Philistine. There were two opposing armies. There was the Israelite army over here. You can be the Israelite army, so give me a cheer. Okay, sorry about this, but you know where this is coming. You're the Philistine army, give a boo. <laughs> Excellent. And you are at war with each other. And you have, been, you have been for years and years and years. And in this particular instance, the Israelite army was on one hill and the Philistine army was on the other hill. And they decided rather than all of you rushing at each other and killing one another, you thought what? They thought, this is a better idea. We're going to find a champion from each side. So the Philistines had a secret weapon of a champion. So Simon, can you come here, please? <laughs> now, I don't know this is, if this is safe, Simon, but I want you to stand on that speaker. Right. I need someone of a suitable height and stature to be David. Yes. Natalie. <laughs> so, basically, Goliath. This, this is a guy who is nine feet tall, and that's probably about right. So that's about nine feet at the moment, Okay. So the Philistines had this secret weapon, Goliath. He had been trained from his youth. He, he was a guy that had muscles growing on his muscles. His coat of armour was so heavy that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to lift it. None of us would be able to lift it. This is Goliath. And the Israelite army all looked at this bloke. Every, every morning when he came out and challenged him to fight, you looked at this bloke and you thought, you have got to be joking. I'm not going to fight him. Look how big he is. Look how strong he is. Look how nasty he looks. And day after day, the Israelites heard Goliath taunt them and say, come and fight. Come and fight and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to rip off your head. I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. I hate you. I detest you. I'm going to take you apart. And day after day, the Israelites would come out and they would look at the size of Goliath and say, we cannot fight him. We cannot win. He is too big for us. But then you see this guy called David comes along. David hadn't been at the battle. He'd actually been looking after the sheep. But he turns up. You may wander around, David. Wander around the front because we've got to get the full height difference. You may pause there. When 
She's up for the fight. I thought she was going to take him off there then. But anyway, <laughs> when, when, David, when David heard the taunts from the Philistine, from Simon, her first reaction was, who is this that defies the armies of the living God? There was an angry indignance at these taunts that were coming. David saw, and I know this is all, you know, a bit, a bit of fun. The truth is, David saw the same Goliath. It wasn't that she walked in, he walked in with her eyes shut, with his, with, <laughs> I'm getting all my gender bit. <laughs> with, it's not that David walked through with his eyes shut and didn't really see. Now he saw him. He saw how big he was, but David saw God in the picture as well. The Israelites only saw Goliath in comparison to themselves, but David saw Goliath in comparison to God. And it didn't matter how big Goliath was, God was bigger. God was stronger. God was able to bring change. Thank you guys so much for that. David... David took on Goliath and he killed him. He took him out. But it wasn't because he was naturally braver. It's because he had faith in God. David had fought the lion and the bear previously as a shepherd and God had delivered him. And so when he saw Goliath and he knew the promises that God had made, he knew. He knew that God was on his side. Quickly just put up that photo I've got, Dan. This guy here is Robert Wadlow, and he's the tallest man that has ever lived other than Goliath, because I didn't have a picture of him. He's just under nine foot tall, and that's a normal, I think that's his dad next to him. And look at the size of his shoes compared to those size 12 shoes next to him. It's mad, isn't it? Just how big. That, that's something of how big Goliath was. So we're going to be looking at this morning, looking at the whole subject of choosing to believe the truth. And we're going to look at it under four very simple headings. And our, my prayer is, my prayer is, even as Joe sort of prophesied about that stream of living water, I, be, I believe that's for this preach as well. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to take some of what I bring and make it live, to change your definition, change your understanding of what faith is. Is. So firstly, what is faith? It's so important we understand it because the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith isn't trying really hard to believe something that you know isn't true. That isn't faith. It's like I'm trying really hard to believe in Father Christmas even though I know he isn't true. That isn't faith. Christian faith is about finding out what God says, what is true, and making a choice to believe it. Faith, i say it again, is finding out what is really true, what God says is true, and making a choice to believe it. Now, it is incredibly simple, but in the battle, it can be really hard. Grudem says this, faith is deciding upon something being true and then depending upon it with your life. 
Decide and depend. The Bible says this in Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message, message is heard through the word about Christ. The Bible tells us what is true and that's why it's so important that we go back to it regularly. What Heath shared about, about the daily Bible reading why? Because we need to go back to find out what God says is true if we're ever going to stand a chance of lining our lives up with it. Even though, imagine that with David, right? Goliath, so tall, so strong, he could see him, he could feel him as he got close to him. His adrenaline would have been rushing, he could, he could hear, hear Goliath snarling at him, but God he could not see. God he could not touch. And so there is something about faith of believing the unseen. And, and God's real about this. He says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There is a confidence. My God has said it. I believe or I decide to believe that it is true. I am now going to act on the good of it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus says this in Luke 18. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What, what on earth was Jesus talking about there? I think he was talking about the whole subject of faith and belief. If you tell a child that someone is trustworthy, in actual fact, a child is naturally built to trust we spend, as adults, a lot of our lives trying to teach them not to trust everyone they come across. Isn't that true? And Jesus says, if we want to enter the kingdom, if we want to receive the kingdom, we've got to come like a little child. We've got to learn to trust God, our heavenly Father. And the truth is, it is a lifelong journey. We find out from God what is true. We choose to believe, believe it, whether it feels true or not. And it will have an impact on our lives. So how do we grow in our faith? So, so, so if that is what faith is, how do I grow in my faith? Dan, if you can pop up the next couple of slides. I've missed a point out. The next one. Brilliant. Is faith something that we can deliberately grow in? Or is it sort of some mystical thing that we have no control over? Because sometimes we think that, don't we? We think, well, maybe God's got to do something for me for me to grow in my faith. Well, it definitely, faith is definitely a gift from God. And it, and it can be a spiritual gift. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. There is a gift of faith for certain situations. But it's also something we can develop in as we understand what God has said and we step out in obedience. How can we grow in our faith? How do we grow in our faith? I want you to imagine, um, I nearly picked on Natalie again, but I didn't think that would be fair. Um, imagine we've got, we've got um, a child and standing on that speaker thing again. I wouldn't put Simon up there for certain. Imagine you had a child up on, on that speaker thing and, and, uh, and I said to that child, jump. 
I'll catch you, jump. I don't know, but I, I imagine to start with, maybe the child would be a little bit nervous, but, but they would jump. Maybe if I wasn't too far away and I catch them, if I asked them to do it again, they'd probably be keener to do it again more quickly. And, and again, and as long as I keep catching, their faith, their, their trust will continue to grow. It doesn't matter how many lectures I give them about the fact that I am trustworthy and I am reliable. Until they jump, they will not know from experience that I am trustworthy and reliable. And for our faith to grow in God, there are times when we just have to jump. We need to believe. You know, you know in the Bible, it talks about God says God loves a cheerful giver. Any cheerful givers here today? It doesn't matter how many essays you read on it. It doesn't matter how many papers you could write yourself on the fact that God loves a cheerful giver. Until we put our hands in our pockets and we give beyond what we can afford, you never really know the reality that God loves a cheerful giver and that he is totally reliable, that he will not let you fall. There is something of faith that demands action. It demands a stepping out. You, you may be here today and you're, you're exploring the Christian faith. You're thinking about, is Christianity true? Well, actually, Christianity is reasonable. It is understandable. We can explain it to you. But in the end, there is a moment where you just need to step and find out, is Jesus real or not? And you'll find that he is. But, but no one can take that step for you. How do you grow in your faith? You find out what God says is true and then you step out and you believe his promises. And again, as I said last week, nothing or no one can step for you. You can watch someone else do it and think, wow, that's, that's quite impressive. I'd love to be like them. But in the end, it's down to, it's down to us stepping out personally. Let me try and give you um, an example. Uh, recently, God has been speaking to me about the whole subject of contentment. I, I don't know when it first happened. It was three, four weeks ago. And a thought came into my head about contentment. I think it might have come from the daily Bible reading that we are doing. And it just came in. It popped into my head. And as it was there, I started wondering, maybe, maybe I'm not as content as I thought I was. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is something that I need to look at. And so I started to wonder about it, and I thought, well, how do I find out what God has to say about contentment? So I went to the Bible, and I, I looked up, I, I knew a couple of verses on contentment, but if I hadn't known them, I'd have Googled it, and find a couple of verses on contentment. And I read them, and I started to write down some of the things that these verses say about contentment. I just wrote them down. I learned that in whatever situation I could learn to be content. I found in, in 1 Corinthians 12 that even in weakness, insults and hardships, it's possible to be content. I found out that through Christ who strengthens me, I can be content. I found out that God's grace is sufficient in contentment. I found out for the sake of, uh, for the, that the Apostle Paul was for the sake of Christ because he was following Jesus. He chose to be content. And I learned all of these different things when it comes to contentment. 
I've then got a choice. I mean, so the Bible is saying, in whatever situation I'm facing, I can be content. Is that true? I mean, the Bible says it, but, but genuinely, is it really true? Are you really saying it's not to do with circumstances? Are you really saying that contentment is something that you can learn? Are you saying that contentment is something that's Holy Spirit empowered? Is, is that really true? And at that point, I've got to decide, do I believe what the Bible says or do I believe what feels to be the case? I have a decision to make. And the truth is, it's a bit of a work in progress. I'm still working it through. I believe that it is true because the Bible says that it is true. But I'm still working it out in the everyday, in the different situations, in the circumstances where I'm finding it difficult. I'm thinking about the different triggers that set me off in the era of contentment. I'm looking to take unthoughtful, unhelpful thoughts captive. It's a bit of a battle. But the Bible says, and then it's a faith battle, do I believe it to be so? Do I believe it to be so? It's a fight for faith. 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 says this, fight the good fight of faith. And, and a lot of what we face in our daily lives is a fight for faith. And then lastly, faith is seen by what we do. James 2 verse 17 and 18 says this, in the same way faith by itself if not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. That's provoking, isn't it? Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I'll just let that settle for a bit. So lastly, we see that faith is seen by what we do. No matter what we say, it's what we do that shows what we really believe. The number 26 bus going along the ridge goes down to the town centre. If any of you want to catch the number 26 bus, sorry, if any of you want to get to the town centre, why don't you go catch the number 26 bus? Okay? I'd really, really encourage that. Now, you may believe what I say is true, but that isn't faith in that sense. Faith is seen in action. If you really believe that the number 26 bus will get you to town and you want to get to town, you need to leave the building, go down the concourse, get to the bus stop. If you want, you can check the timetable. You can get the app on your phone. You can even ask other people stood at the bus stop about whether it really does go to the town centre. But in the end, when the bus pulls up, you've got to step onto the bus and go. Faith is seen by what we do. It's seen in action. If you want to know what you actually believe, look at what you do. Faith grows when we make a choice and put it into practice. And it's often in the most difficult times that we can grow the most. 
If you ask Alid and Lou at the moment about what's going on with their faith, I imagine that they will say something along the lines of, it is growing, it is being tested, it is hard, it is uncomfortable. They're, they're moving to the Philippines in the new year and there's a lot of faith testing stuff going on. If God hadn't called them to the Philippines, they wouldn't be learning any of these faith lessons that they are presently learning. But it's hard. And it's often in the hard times and in the difficult times and the times where sometimes we might even be questioning, God, where are you? That there's opportunities for us to grow in our faith. And I don't say that lightly. There's a testing. There is a battle for faith. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking, I I just need to attend this special meeting or I just need this special ministry to come and minister to me. And although these can be wonderful times, the truth is that there is no one here, if you are a Christian, there is no one here who cannot become mature in their faith. There is no one here who cannot be a fruitful disciple. There is no one here, if you're a Christian, who cannot resist temptation. There is no one here who cannot get out of hopelessness. There's no one here who cannot leave behind negative behaviour and past influences because you have been wonderfully saved and blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you have been called as a people together and as individuals to step out, follow Jesus and trust him. Now I know probably right now there's a whole load of different things going through in your head and it may may be even around, you don't know what I'm going through and I, I don't. And I don't understand the individual challenges you're facing but I know the gospel. And I know the promises in the word of God. And I know God would not have made those promises if they weren't true. And if they're not true for you, then they cannot be true. One one exception makes them a lie. And so these promises are true for you. As you believe, as you trust and as you step into them. Now these first two messages, the one last week where we looked at the radical transformation and this week where we were wrestling with what is the true nature of faith are key foundational things if you're going to grow in maturity, if you're going to become the person God has for you to become. I want to encourage you, even with the questions you may have right at the moment, Park them to one side. Keep coming back. Keep looking to grow. Keep looking to understand at this time. Why don't we just, um, why don't we stand um, for a moment? I don't think we're going to need the band back, but if I can just encourage you just to stand, that would be absolutely wonderful. Lord God, I just want to pray right now. Please, I invite you to come. 
Holy Spirit, please would you come? If I'm honest, this morning I felt incredibly distracted speaking. I found it really hard. And I don't know why. Faith is finding out what God says is true and choosing to believe it. That is incredibly simple. Even a child can do it. But it's at times can be such a battle as well. You can grow in your faith. You can step out of here today and make steps to, look at, to grow in your faith. You'll do it two ways. One, understanding what is true. Two, deciding to depend upon it. And thirdly, if you want to test to see if it's faith, can it be seen in your life? Can it be seen in your life? Now, I know all of us are facing different challenges, different battles in different ways. What are the lies, what are the challenges where God is inviting you to grow in your faith right now? What are they? I've got a couple. So all of us will have different areas. What are the areas where you're needing to apply faith to live out what God is calling you to? Is it in your marriage? Is, Is it something to do with areas of mental health? Is it to do with relatives or work situations? What areas are you needing to apply faith right now? On the way in, you've got a new uh, or, or another flyer. Got restored at the top. It's brown rather than yellow like last week. And on this flyer, there are the 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 everyday challenges that we face at different times. But alongside them are promises from the word of God that we can grab hold of. Now you may look at this and you may think, oh, this is, this is difficult. This is difficult. I just want to encourage you, which have a quick look through now. Which ones, which ones stand out to you most at the moment for where you're at right now? Maybe you want to chat to the person next to you if you've come with someone or you want to turn to uh, the person next to you. You can do it on your own if you want. Why should I fear when the Bible says that God has given me, has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind? Why should I allow Satan's supremacy over my life when he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Why should I feel condemned, guilty, when the Bible says I am not condemned because I am in Christ? Why should I be discontented when I can learn to be content in all my circumstances? Why should I have a persecution complex knowing that nobody can be against me when God is 
before me. I want to invite you to take this away, to do business with God, to pray it in. Lord, I just want to ask right now by the power of your spirit that you would come. I want to pray, Lord God, that you would take uh, uh, these words that we're even reading on the page and become life to us. They would challenge and stir us. Our faith would grow on the back of it. Lord God, would you be with us in it? We ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.